0: Today on the Outsource Accelerator podcast, I have David Pritchard. He is the country manager here in the Philippines for the Nile, which is an e-commerce company. I've got David back on the show to talk about operations and managing teams, managing staff here, getting the best out of the Filipino workforce, managing culture and all of that. Of course, we're now in a very different environment with covid and I got David on the show to ask how he is managing the new normal in terms of COVID, in terms of uh, returning back to work and getting the best out of their team. So it was a good conversation with David, as always. If you want any of the show notes, go to OutsourceAccelerator.com podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator, We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs and we can help you too. We cover everything from business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations and fully managed services. If you're already outsourcing, about to start or somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your outsourcing practices. We list over 700 outsourcing suppliers on our website, host this leading outsourcing podcast, and have over 5,000 pages of content. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. We offer everything from light brokerage, co-managed services, through to fully managed solutions get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Mention that you're a podcast listener and we will give you special attention plus a 10% discount. This is for a limited time only. Go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Hi and welcome back everybody. Today I have back with us David Pritchard. He is the country manager for the Philippines for the Nile Group, which we're going to find out about in a minute. I've had David on the show a number of times before because I see him as quite the expert in managing people, in optimizing operations, mastering Filipino performance and work culture. So it's great to have you on the show again, David. And I want to really dig in this time to see what has changed, what has happened uh, with the advent of COVID and how that has affected your operations and how you have overcome it. So welcome to the show, David. How has
1: it changed for you with COVID? Thanks very much, Derek. (coughs) Very nice to be back on for the third time, I think, and always a very flattering introduction. Uh, Right, so very good question. Uh, We're about a year in um, and probably for like most people, it's really been a whirlwind of a year. It's amazing to think that it's already coming around about the time of year when we were starting to realise that there was a fairly serious problem on the horizon, uh, which I guess for for us was around about February or March last year. Um, Like a lot of companies, uh, we had to scramble very fast to um, move to a different work environment that suited the pandemic conditions. Uh, I won't go into too much detail about that because I'm sure a lot of your other guests have spoken about that, and it's probably a bit stale too because that's all a year ago. Um, but uh, now what was a very rapid sort of scrambled solution, getting all our employees into a work-from-home environment, has become really the, uh, as they say, the new normal, at least for the time being. And so uh, the last 12 months have really been about adjusting to that and figuring out what the challenges are and uh, how we can make it work for us. Um, Ideally, get better results, but at least um, not have too much fall off the radar screen. So it's been a very interesting experience, yeah.
0: With, with COVID, obviously, you know, there was the initial scramble and you were getting used to processes again. But, of course, with COVID, things were changing all the time. There was lockdown then there wasn't lockdown and, and things like that. But after the scramble and you were then all work from home, at what point did it start to feel kind of... Uh, Operations as normal. Was it three months, 12 months, or you're still coming to grips with it?
1: Yeah, I'll I'll let you know when we hit that point. (laughs) I don't think we ever really felt like that. Um, An additional element for us is that we're an online retailer. So our core business in Australia is um, selling products online, uh, consumer items like books and toys and DVDs uh, and baby accessories. And so just at the very time that we were having to adjust to the work-from-home environment, we also... Had an extraordinary surge uh, in activity because the whole world was going into lockdown. And so e commerce and online retail took off. So we were dealing with massive volumes um, that we didn't normally see apart from Christmas time, and in fact, even bigger than Christmas time. So we had this crazy volume to deal with in addition to the adjustment. So that took us, <laughs> that sort of took the wind out of us in a good way for the first few months. Um, That began to settle down, I guess, around about uh, probably June or July. We sort of eventually kind of got around to dealing with the volumes that had become normal by that point, and we were sort of used to it. And uh, that was when we started saying, okay, this is becoming more of a long-term thing. Um, Are we going to see the same productivity? What do we need to do to get the same productivity with our employees working from home, uh, spread out across the country as they are? Um, and it was around about that time that I think we had to really start um, looking a bit more hardly. Uh, a lot of companies reported having a major drop in productivity after the first couple of months. In the Philippine context, uh, you had a very hard lockdown, as I'm sure has been covered on some of your previous episodes. That lasted, how long was it, Derek? It was about um, the initial kind of lockdown. It was at least two months, was it not? Yeah,
0: I think it was three months, but it didn't. It hasn't
1: really loosened up that much since then, has it? Well, uh, I guess, I guess yes and no. I mean, during that first lockdown, I was actually, to be fair, out of the country because I found myself um, uh, in New Zealand temporarily for a holiday at the time, and then um, I ended up staying for a few months. So I was managing things remotely until August. But uh, as I understand it, um, the They started to release things a little bit after that first initial lockdown, and people had a bit more freedom to go out. Um, And a lot of BPOs I've heard have reported seeing their productivity drop significantly when that happened. So when people literally were stuck at home and they couldn't do anything, they couldn't go anywhere, um, they had nothing else to do but actually work. So people saw an initial surge in productivity, that got everyone excited. Um, But numerous people I've spoken to have said that they saw it really drop after that because people then had freedom to go out and do things, but also less oversight and less supervision um, and just generally more freedom to do what they like in their own home rather than being in an office environment. So we were quite scared of seeing the same thing. Uh, And surprisingly, um, it didn't really eventuate, Um, apart from some isolated cases, maybe with the odd employee here and there. um, I was really surprised to see productivity um, as good or better and also just sort of seeing... um, a greater degree of commitment from our employees, uh, which was actually sustained and is still sustained to this date. Uh, Fantastic. And, and just just take us back, David. With
0: uh, introduce the Nile. So you are an e-commerce. It's uh, yes. Australasia based, uh, and you you know, as most e-commerce has done, you saw a huge spike in in sales and revenue, um, which then would have, of course, uh, created a lot more work for you when you were probably you know, very compromised and and scrambling internally. Can you uh, just give us a background on the Nile? Yeah,
1: so the Nile uh, is uh, our principal brand. So it's like the river in Egypt, the Nile. And uh, we have a business-to-consumer website selling uh, books primarily, but also toys and baby accessories. And we've spun that off into a few additional websites. Um, The second one is tinyfox.com.au, which is a baby accessories website. And we have... uh, Additional plans to expand our categories online and probably expand the websites. But it's business to consumer retail, and uh, we've been operating in the Australian market for well over a decade. Uh, and so that's our core business. And in the Philippines, we have our own um, in house operation. You might call it a, a small captive that is entirely dedicated to servicing the Australian parent company, doing all tasks like customer support and all back end tasks. Um, So that's a bit of background of what the Nile is. Uh, And as you were alluding to, um, our our volume is very seasonal because we're a retailer. So at different times of year, we normally have big spikes in volume as people are purchasing things online and making discretionary purchases. But uh, last year, that was all thrown um, totally off kilter by the crazy year that it was. And so uh, we we tended to see our fortunes rise and fall with the degree of lockdown uh, in Australia. So for example, when Victoria... Whenever Victoria goes into a hard lockdown, which has happened several times uh, over the last few months, we always see a spike in sales because people are at home placing orders. So we have people at home in Australia placing orders, and then we have our employees at home dealing with those orders and doing all the work around it. And so there's a bit of a connection there. That's amazing
0: because all of the, the brick-and-mortar retailers have have had to do their own scrambling to actually try and generate business online uh and you know some of them have, have literally had to start from zero and and build up the capabilities whereas you as a company were fully primed for the opportunities the silver lining within this pandemic yeah and but having I mean, said so that it comes with its own challenges because you are also
1: trying to figure out the new normal and the new operational standards that's right yeah um so yeah, we were primed for it, and we didn't expect it. Um, and uh, yeah, the entire online industry saw an extraordinary surge. Um, the the effect of the uh, the pandemic, and of course, it's a terrible thing. And um, there have been a heck of a lot of losers out of everything that's happened over the last um, over the last year. And we absolutely feel for people that have had hardship, lost their jobs, um, had health issues, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, for the o- online retail industry, it actually brought us forward several years. Um, It literally kind of doubled the market. Um, And probably where we are now as an industry in Australia probably would have taken us several more years to get to. I've seen estimated five years. So um, it was really huge for online. We were positioned for it. Um, You just had people in the market who, some people that had never placed an order online before, it never even occurred to them to order online, uh, That always gone to Brooks & Mortar. Suddenly they were checking out online. Um, So that that was this this massive... um, surge of new customers and then of course those customers that maybe were only very occasional online purchases became frequent online purchases Um, yeah even myself as as a consumer i realized that um, even though i work in online retail suddenly i found my own shopping patterns uh, changed dramatically too so that was what we fielded Um, as a company we were delighted to be able to um obviously (laughs) it's good news for us but we were delighted to be able to help people uh, people who were stuck at home uh, unable to do their shopping um, needing supplies, whether it was um, essential supplies or um, more entertainment kind of supplies. Like we saw crazy surges in things like a Jigsaw Puzzles was a massive product. Um, we had a massive surge in because people wanted entertainment while they are at home. So we were happy to um, be in a position where we could leverage that and um, really help, I guess, the public deal with the challenges of, of lockdown. Uh, and, yes, it did create logistical problems for us. It was a challenge um, across the company, but certainly for us here in Manila. Um, but they were all good problems to have. Uh, we do not have anything really to complain about, about how the last 12 months have gone.
0: And operationally then, what are some of the headlines of things that you noticed pre to post-COVID, pre to post-work from home?
1: Okay. Um, so a huge benefit for us was, um, I guess, the additional labour capacity we got out of our workforce because they didn't have a commute to worry about. Um we, we have, you know, surging differences in volume. You know, it's quite variable. Sometimes we're talking across the course of a year, but even sometimes during a day or a week we'll have crazy surges that we didn't anticipate and we need additional labor. Um, in the past, we were constrained to an office environment um, where we had employees who had commuted from various parts of Metro Manila, sometimes transiting for an hour or two hours, um, to work a fixed shift in the office. And, you know, times would occur when I'd suddenly say, well, actually, I need a bit more. Um, we've got a higher volume here. I need you guys to give us an extra couple of hours of overtime or whatever it is, just push that extra little bit just to get us across the line. And it was very challenging to get those kind of commitments from our employees. And they had a pretty good excuse for it because coming to work at a certain time was a major logistical operation for them. Um, often they would have to you know, take two or three different forms of public transport, deal with all the challenges of a of a large somewhat dysfunctional city like Manila. Um, you know, they had family at home and commitments. So just sort of staying at work an extra two hours for somebody uh, in Manila is actually quite a challenge for them to do. And generally, they wouldn't do it. They'd just say, no, sorry. Um, we need more notice. That's just too hard for us. The best we can do is maybe commit to give you some more time tomorrow, and we'll plan our day around it so we can do it, which was less than ideal because, you know, you want a rapid sort of response from your workforce. Um Suddenly having them at home, although it may sound obvious, there was a huge benefit from just being able to say, well, you've got nowhere to be. I mean, you're at home. So please, um, you know, just give us that extra bit now. Um, And they're fine to do that. Uh, Or, you know, if you have to do something, if you've got family commitments, you need to cook for your kids, whatever it is, fine, go and do that. And then please come back and um, give us that extra two hours we need. So just getting that additional capacity, um, sort of rapid response capacity was huge. Um, and also, of course, our employees for the most part, um, you know, they had that extra two hours up their sleeve, that they didn't have to spend commuting. Um, and they also had the sort of that they were in a better psychological state for the most part, because they didn't have the stress of that commute. Now, of course, that's balanced by some of the work life balance challenges that have come out of uh, working from home, which we can certainly talk about, but operationally, um, that was a huge benefit, um. And, uh, and also, of course, not being geographically constrained. So we were able to, um, to harness a, a larger workforce, and we've got people working all over the Philippines now rather than just in, uh, just in Manila, where they were within the catchment of our office. All of these are things that we already knew about. Some companies were already doing it before the pandemic, but the, the pandemic gave us a, a very a dramatic proof of concept that has sort of brought us forward in doing that. So we're leveraging a lot of those benefits of a work-from-home environment. Uh, very effectively.
0: And what are some downsides? Have you have you seen downsides from the changes? <clears throat>
1: yep. Um, I think the the biggest one for us that is still an ongoing issue would be, um, I guess, the negative uh, psychological aspects for the employees. So there is the positive side, which I was just describing. Um, they've got more energy. They've got more time. Um, they're more willing to um, to sort of go that extra mile to help us out. Um, but they also have their own challenges of work-life balance, of uh, making sure they get out of the house if possible. And even now, um, for the average Filipino, it's quite challenging um, to, to live in these conditions. Um, you can go out more, but you don't necessarily want to. A lot of people still have great concerns about catching COVID and the health concerns. Um, and then what else was I going to mention along that line. They also have challenges like, for example, there's no school at the moment. So all school in the Philippines has been done remotely, if at all, for the last year. Um, And living here, I get to experience that myself a little bit um, as a foreigner living here. But the general rule, if you're a foreigner in the Philippines, if something's frustrating for you, it's 10 times more frustrating and difficult for the average Filipino. Um, And so I just found out that my operations manager, for example, who has a couple of young kids, um, she had them... Pers- their school had been doing distance learning but uh, the school decided that it was too hard for people's internet connections so they basically told all the parents um, you have to do the lessons yourself now so I've just discovered that my operations manager has been giving her kids lessons um, and delivering the school that they're supposed to be getting in, in the school um, in her spare time when she's not working for us so they face a lot of challenges like that trying to juggle all these different responsibilities they have and that has taken its toll on them psychologically um, increasingly i'm starting to get questions about um, returning to an office environment at least partially um, overall they like the benefits of work from home um, but they do miss i guess the the clear de- de- delineation the barrier between work and home life um, and they also miss the interaction you know those intangible interactions you have if you're in a work in, in an office environment working with different teams um, as I'm sure you've probably covered in previous podcasts, there are certain things that you just can't replicate on a Zoom call or a Google call or whatever else it is. So they are pining for a little bit more um, interaction. So as an operational concern, there has been there have been some morale issues there that we have to try and stay on top of and keep trying to figure out ways to address, uh, which we're looking at. Um, the other one, which I think we, um, we were quite fortunate in that we didn't have a really big... Concern here. It ultimately, as I mentioned, it came out fine. I guess would be the natural, the natural decline you might see in in productivity as a result of just people not having people not being in an office environment, having a bit more privacy at their desk. So we had to um, consider that. In some cases, we did see drops in productivity. We did see some employees who maybe weren't as accountable as you would want them to be about how their workday was being spent. So we had to look at, I guess, implementing some online tools. Um, of which there are various available in the market, just to try and monitor people better and keep them honest and just make sure we have transparency on what they're doing. Uh, just those, as, I guess, would be two of the major uh, downsides. Yeah, as, a bit the of a, as
0: a bit of a qualifying question, when you transitioned to work from home, was there any major hurdles sort or of friction to getting them transitioned? Did you need
1: new software, new interfaces, or were you pretty much in the cloud already? Um we were heavily cloud-based. So, yeah, we didn't have a lot of stuff on desktops for the most part. Um, actually, it was a good exercise because we did find certain things that should have been cloud-based that weren't. <laughs> um, and uh, it was very good because we found out about that and then we had to say, right, why on earth is, that be, is this being kept in hard copy um, you know, or on someone's local drive? This should all be cloud-based. So there were a few gaps there which, we, which thankfully came out of the woodwork and we addressed. Um, so we went from being probably... Something like 80% cloud to being 99 to 100% uh, cloud-based, um,
0: and then in managing and monitoring productivity, did anything change there? When you're in the office, you can see people working. There's the FaceTime aspect, you know, and uh, you have to use other sensors when people aren't in direct contact. You, you mentioned adding new tools for that, but yeah. how did you, how do you now monitor? uh productivity and do you see it still do you see it as a blind spot or do you do you feel that you can
1: accurately monitor and manage productivity remotely i think it is an ongoing challenge and it would be folly to think that you've ever fully mastered it and it's not something you don't have to constantly worry about Uh, that we use some basic tools like we use a tool that uh captures regular screenshots of what they're working on um and they have to be logged into that in order to get paid Um, So there are tools like that which are useful, Um, mostly just about keeping people honest. They sort of know that we can check what they're doing. Um, Were you using that previously? No, no, we weren't. Um, And, you know, arguably it would still be of value even in an office environment, Um, but it just had not been something that we've really seen the need to do. Have Um, you found
0: it valuable, like it is uh, an accurate reflection? I
1: I do, and primarily it is about... um, it's, it's more about them knowing that we can check rather than the fact that we have to constantly look at what they're doing. Um, yeah. You know, I don't want to spend all day looking at screenshots of people's desktops. Um, neither do most of my people, um, but, you know, you just need to do it enough so that they know that there can be checks done. Um, and, you know, there have been the occasional, for the most part, um, you know, we've had a very trustworthy workforce um, who, you know, we've been able to just have confidence in and get, and, and give a little bit of autonomy um, and be able to trust that they'll be productive and not about what they're doing. But there has, as in any organization, there's been the odd case where there hasn't been 100% true. And we've been able to go back and have a look and, and in some cases hold people accountable and you know, establish that what's being said is not necessarily accurate um, about what they were doing in a certain time, um, how they were spending their time. So it has been useful, um, but it's only one tool that's there. Um, I think we're very fortunate in our scale we have a, a workforce of approximately uh, 50 at the moment, um, it, and it's growing, um, which is good. Um, but it's it's sometimes it's a little bit lower than that, sometimes a bit higher, just depending on the seasonal volume and so forth. But that's small enough where I pretty much know everybody um, as the country manager. Um, and we have a lot of people who've been in the country seven years now. And we've been fortunate to retain a lot of our most senior people that joined us back in 2014. So we do have a, a very high, um, a very high environment of trust in our company. Um, we have, you know, relationships that are many years old, which makes a difference in the BPO environment. And we kind of harness that, um, and we sort of we rely on our employees. We say, right, we're going to give you a degree of autonomy. We're not going to totally be a crazy surveillance state constantly checking everything you're doing. We retain the ability to do it if we need to, but for the most part, we want to put the confidence in you to do the right thing and be productive. And they've responded very well to that. Um, and they also keep each other accountable. You now I rely upon some of my more senior people to um, to very closely anecdotally monitor um, people beneath them and sort of filter it through. So we try and create a um, what you might call a circle of accountability where everyone keeps each other honest. Because bear in mind, if one person is slacking off um, or doing anything they shouldn't in their work from home environment, they're letting down the whole team. Probably it means other people are going to have to do more work to cover from them, um, or it may undo the good work that others are doing. So I really keep that messaging ahead and I find they keep each other honest. Um, I think peer pressure is a very effective tool to apply uh, in these circumstances.
0: And are your operations easily monitored? Do you have, you know, it's very common for. Um, units within the Philippines to have to be heavy on metrics and KPIs yep. and, and uh, kind of checkbox processes. Were you an operation like that where you can always monitor these things or is a lot of the work more qualitative and people are just busy doing things?
1: It's, uh, it's really both. Um, and I think we've touched on that challenge in previ- one of our previous interviews, you know, how the, the standard way of doing things in the BPO environment is you have a large team of people doing one thing only all day. And it's relatively easy to monitor. Um, and we have certain teams that do that. Um, for example, teams that answer emails um, and do it very well. And that's relatively easy to monitor because you just have one metric. You have emails per hour and you can figure out what they need to produce. And it's very hard for them to, um, to fudge what they're doing because the numbers don't lie. Uh, whereas we have other teams that are multitasking more. Um, and it's very hard to encapsulate everything they do in... Um, in one single metric. So um, you have to find other ways of incentivizing them and making sure they're productive. Um, I find uh, having really good top level, sort of department level metrics for them, um, just talking about overall numbers. Um, like, for example, with a team that deals with uh, order fulfillment, making sure um, all our customer orders are fulfilled, dealing with any exception. With them, it's very hard for us just to break it down in the same way that we break down, for example, answering emails, because they have a range of different tasks that are all related to that one function. But we can look at our overall order fulfillment rates and how it's trending up or down, and then we can try and incentivize, give them incentive, saying, right, if we hit this particular number as a company in terms of our fulfillment rates, the number of defects, um, then there can be an incentive for you. And so that incentivizes the team to do whatever they can to be more efficient and contribute in whatever way they can to that higher level company level metric. So we try that approach with teams that are less um, are less simple metric oriented. Um, and something else which has been accelerated a little bit by pandemic environment As as we grow, we can specialize a little bit more. And so in some cases, existing teams have been split up into more specific teams with more specific responsibilities. And the more specific the responsibilities and the tasks, the easier it is to set metrics that are meaningful. So that has happened. We were kind of in the process of doing that before, but probably that's been accelerated in a few cases just by the pressure that came upon us with the uh, with the pandemic. When the pandemic
0: started, you had processes in motion and you were able to transfer those home. Now, if you were building new processes from scratch, bringing on new people, and it's all in a remote environment, is it as easy you know, is it a saving grace that all of this was sort of in process already, and its a continuation? How do you see the building of new teams, new processes in a remote environment?
1: Um, it's it's a bit of both. It's easier in some respects, harder in others. Um, one great benefit which I discovered is um, is, is being able to record demonstrations, um, which we didn't generally do when we were um, training people in the office. You know. I, if I was the one demonstrating, which sometimes I was, um, sometimes it would be um, our, our process people, but um, either way, they'll give a live demonstration and explain everything um, to the new people being trained. And then from there, they'd go on to a bit of um, one-on-one hands-on training, but um, it was never really something that we kind of re- recorded and broadcast. Now we often have to give these things over, um, over video calls, like a Google call and we make use of the record function. And, uh, one thing that I've always been aware of but never fully addressed is that I speak relatively fast. Uh, I have an accent that um, Filipinos don't find that familiar. And uh, often things I say get lost on them <laughs> and they may be a little bit shy to tell me. Um, so now what they do is I'll demonstrate something. I'll demonstrate a new piece of software we're using, a new tool we've got, a new process. Um, and not only is it done live, but they get a recording of that and then they go away and they watch that recording several times over until they fully get it. <laughs> um, that's something we didn't do previously, um, but now that's just a, a function we always seem to use, and um, that's made a big difference. Another thing is uh, there's uh, subtitles on... Um, you can There's a feature I discovered on Google Calls where you could turn on captioning, and I discovered that my employees were captioning me. So when I'm talking, they can actually see subtitles, what I'm saying, which helps them understand. Um, so, in terms of demonstration um, of new process, uh, that has been one benefit we've seen. The challenge, of course, is that you don't have effective side-by-side. It's much harder to do side-by-side. So once you've demonstrated the process and you need to kind of lock it in and give the person hands-on experience, it's much harder to do that if you're not in the same room and looking over somebody's shoulder. It just isn't quite the same when you're looking at screen sharing. Um, and, um, yeah, we just... We're aware of that. Um, We have to try and compensate for it however we can. But I have found that element harder. There's just something slightly intangible. It's just not quite the same when you're watching someone remotely. Um, And then lastly on that point, once you've rolled out a process, often people get the basics, but they only master it with practice. And they also master it through sharing best practices and kind of being in the same space. Um, and sort of seeing what each other is working on, talking about it as they go. Uh, and I find that's the next step that gets you from maybe being 70 or 80% across a process to being a process master. Um, and that is much harder when you don't have teams working in the same place. Mm. Um, that's that's definitely something I've seen. I don't have an immediate answer to it. Um, it, is a, it is a significant challenge that we're aware of, um, and we try and deal with by having regular huddles and so forth. Um, Having you know, every team has a chat room where they constantly talk, um, but thus far we haven't been able to fully replicate the benefits of having three people sitting in a room, or five people, or however many people it is, um, just generally working on the same task and chatting about it, um, sharing the experience. So that's that's an that's an element that is more difficult with rolling out processes and making sure they're followed consistently. The
0: Filipinos are very strong on culture and you know the the Christmas parties are huge the summer parties are huge and generally the work environments are pretty enjoyable happy places uh, how are you doing with team building and what was your Christmas party like considering the new normal <laughs>
1: it was um, it was strange I'm still getting used to these virtual events um, both in the company also just generally around like I mean every everyone's all these different organizations I used to be part of that used to have in-person events, you know, like um, uh, expat chambers of commerce and so forth and social groups in Manila. They're doing all these weird Zoom events, you know, where they you go on Zoom and you pay something and then they send you the food to your house and you sit there and share a meal and a drink remotely through a computer. It's kind of odd to me and I still fully haven't, um, I, I have to say as an individual, I haven't quite embraced it. It just makes me sad to think that we can't have in-person events. Mm. Um, but, you know, people are innovating with that. Um, as a company, we've done that as well. Um, and my employees have embraced it more than I have. <laughs> uh, we um, we had something called Lockdown Lunches, uh, which we started doing every single week. And so uh, on a Friday afternoon, everyone would have lunch at the same time, a great big video call, and then um, they would have trivia, like there the are various trivia yeah. apps you can do to so play games like that. And there was huge participation in that. and um, if you've ever been around Filipinos, when they get in that kind of environment and they're just in a social environment participating in some type of shared fun activity, they're extraordinary fun. Okay. You know, um, everybody's joking, they're all laughing and it's just it's almost energizing to be around. it's just so positive. So they embraced that and they really appreciated it. so we've carried that on. Um, that's become a tradition. Um, and then we did have a Christmas party we had it we always do it slightly earlier than most companies, late November. And uh, we did it all online. We we organized logistically to get food delivered to everyone, which was quite a challenge because we had people all over Metro Manila and out in the province, all over the Philippines. Um, but we found a catering company and we had an army of um, of motorcycle drivers to deliver the food. So they had a really decent um, meal delivered to them along with uh, gifts and prizes. And um, we had prepared, you know, every, it was divided into teams who prepared video items. And this is quite common at Christmas parties, you know, to have like a, a – You know, sort of a team, whatever you call it, like a a song and dance number. So they did all that um, remotely. Um, And we just sort of sat back and um, had a really fun Christmas party. It was great. We had prizes um, and it worked well. I was surprised by how well it did work. And it was a credit to my team for putting it together. Um, And people have, all of those kind of remote activities that we can do, um, the team have really embraced and they've said they really need it because they've been missing that interconnectedness. That they had previously in the office so um, everything like that we've done has had a very positive uptake from the employees and look we're just waiting to see how things go with with COVID in this country and when restrictions get pared back a little bit um, one thing that's for sure is that we don't really anticipate ever going back to the way it was before and having everybody in one office working nine to five um, you know we'll, we'll move on to a different phase but we're never going back to that old normal um work from home is going to be part of our mix pretty much indefinitely. Um, but we want to get into a space where we can actually have more opportunity to meet in person. So we're looking into having um, possibly using co-working spaces and uh, having people meet up once a week or once a month and working in the same place. Uh, and then also maybe doing larger off-site kind of team building exercises, like even a weekend away where we go to a resort or somewhere like that. And, you know, we're hopefully um, as things open up a little bit more um, and people's anxiety goes down a bit more, we can start experimenting a bit more with that. Um, so, you know, the, the horizon's opening up a bit there um, and there's more to do, but there is definitely a, a yearning for, for more interconnectedness and, and anything that we can do to encourage that um, is a priority for us.
0: It is a shame, isn't it? There's definitely isolation and, and you know, I'd say that, that generally work culture has has, uh, you know, fallen a bit onto a back burner. And, and, you know, it'd be interesting to see, like, prior to COVID, there was such a big discussion on how important work culture is. And now I can only imagine it's generally sort of limping along compared to where it was. And just without that physical and uh, personal and close interaction on a daily basis, it's it's just simply got to erode uh, the culture and closeness of people, doesn't it? And as you say, yeah. it's, it's something that Filipinos... Uh, are so strong on, so,
1: so keen on. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and this is good. None of these, these problems are not isolated in the Philippines. I mean, most people around the world um, have experienced some kind of lockdown. Um, You know, we have our, we have our office in Sydney as well, which now only meets once a week um, in the office and the rest of the time work from home. So we're all kind of dealing with it. But I think a Filipino aspect is that um, culture for them is a really big deal in the workplace. Um, They tend to think of their colleagues as family. And a big part of what makes them get up in the morning and go to work is the interactions they have with their friends and colleagues. And uh, yeah, in this kind of environment, they've been forced into it's inevitable that's going to diminish. But we're certainly hearing from them that they want more to be done to try and um, replicate that interconnectedness, that familial environment as best as we can under these circumstances.
0: And you mentioned the the uh, hybrid solution as you go back to the office. You know, it's it's amazing how many people sort of uh, say quite conclusively that it's it's never going to go back to a normal office nine-to-five again. They're not sure what it's going to quite be replaced by, but most people are adamant that, it, you know, it's the Monday nine-to-five is, is not necessary anymore. I think there is, there's a bit of an unfair disadvantage to the Philippines in that just anyone's commute is such a long and arduous journey and so it's going to discourage even the keenest people even the most social even the most pro office people to reconsider and just stick at home which is so such a shame really isn't it for uh, because it's, you know it's kind of a clouded view but do you do you it's ever true. see any of the businesses getting back to a, a an office monday 9 to
1: 5 well, some, some businesses would have a very compelling, certainly <coughs> me, would have a very compelling operational reason, right? Like um, if you're in, if you're in, um, of course, information security is very important for us, but it's even more important if you're in something like debt collection um, or various other lines of business um, where there's a a massive, I guess, information security risk to having people working from home. I mean, it, it's an issue for us as well, and we've taken measures to um, ensure that our data is protected. Um, but you know, in some cases, I imagine companies would simply look at the cost of maintaining that and would just say, no, it makes more sense for us to be in an office environment. So I'm sure there will be some businesses that you know, just have a really strong, compelling operational case for that. Um, we certainly have people that talk about going back to the office. We have some employees that are really keen on it um, for various reasons. Some people maybe don't like being at home all the time. Um, there's, a, there's a degree of prestige. One counterfactor to what you described is there is a degree of prestige to, a, to the average Filipino in the, in the BPO industry um, who may come from um, not necessarily the wealthiest background, um, maybe modest education from, you know, from the province or something. The prestige of actually going to an office job somewhere like BGC or Makati, one of the, um, one of the commercial areas of Manila is quite high. Um, And some of them miss that. And in some cases, probably a minority, but in some cases, that's a major thing. And they probably are yearning to go back to an office environment. So if you're going to be having an office environment, I think the prestige factor would be an important thing to emphasize to make it attractive. Uh, Just the fact that you're actually going to work in a shiny office building, nice and sharply dressed, all that kind of stuff, um, is one appealing factor that I would accentuate if I was doing that. Um, but our employees are clamouring, like you said, for a, for a hybrid solution. They want the best of both worlds. What is
0: the, the sentiment around COVID, around the fears, obviously, of, of catching COVID? Uh, also, you know, public transport typically here mm. is pretty jam-packed. Uh, and so where are the staff, you think, generally with their, it's the, the, the practical aspects yeah. of COVID?
1: I actually asked that question, so I got it in order to get it from the horse's mouth rather than just me speculating about what they're thinking. Um, and they are, you know, almost a year in. um, They're still scared of COVID. They don't want to get it. They're scared of getting infected by it. Um, It's a major reason why most of them have not gone out even when they could, why they've avoided malls and places like that. Um, But they say they don't monitor the numbers anymore. They don't look at the case numbers. Um, And they are generally, most of the ones I spoke to, relatively contemptuous of the authorities in this country uh, and they don't trust the numbers that are being published anyway Um, so they say why should we bother even following it Um, so i think there's a degree of fatigue that is setting in Um, they're still scared of the virus um, but they're also realizing that it it ain't going away Um, you know even even wealthy western countries are talking about this lasting the rest of the year at the very least and maybe even dragging on longer Is something that impacts our lives. If that's what it's like in the first world, imagine what it's like in a country like the Philippines, which doesn't have the resources to combat the virus the way first world countries are. So a reality check is setting in that they have to find a way to live and deal with COVID as part of life. Um, And so they are getting out a little bit more. Um, But that said, they still spoke a lot about anxiety. Um, They're still scared for their family. Bear in mind, the Philippines, you often have people um, living at home with older generations. Um, it's not unusual to have the grandparents living in the home, so people are very concerned about the most vulnerable to the disease. So there is a, there is a reasonable degree of anxiety around, um, but it's, it's also tempered by a degree of skepticism, I guess, um, because they just don't trust what's in the news anyway, based on what I heard from my people. Um, and so that's just like, well, what can we do at our own level? Um, how can we protect ourselves but carry on living and realizing that this is not going away anytime soon?
0: And I'll just this can be the final question. But in terms of looking into your crystal ball, David, if if work doesn't really return to the way it ever you know the way it was, and remote is a new normal, how do you see the future generations in twenty or thirty years of the of the the young generation that enter a workforce? and don't have the social cues. They're not learning from sort of mirroring other people in the office. uh, And they're not picking up on the subtle skills of, of professionalism and discipline and uh, you know, and operational nuances. How do you think that will affect the the workforce of of the future is, you know, or am I just sort of an old guy looking at it? uh,
1: uh, Well, no, it's actually, I, I, I hadn't really considered that. It's a really good question. Um, because we do learn a lot of stuff from our first jobs, don't we? When we go into an office environment and see the way people behave, um, I think that's going to be—it's going to be something of a challenge. But of course, you'll have new norms that form. I think as um, I think, work is going to have to inevitably be, inevitably become more and more results-driven rather than timesheet-driven. You know, um, one thing which I, I don't know if I mentioned to. It, enough earlier is that one reason why we engendered a lot of loyalty from our workforce is because we realized that they needed to have flexibility uh, especially during the first months when you know there were massive lines to to get groceries uh, it was very hard to get out all sorts of restrictions there were checkpoints uh, realistically you know an employee might need to go and get their groceries or do another urgent errand that needs to be done go to a government department or something during their workday. And we accepted that and said, fine, we'll give you some flexibility. We'll trust you to go and do that. If you have to do that at 2 p.m. in the afternoon, we trust that you'll come back and make up the time later. So we gave them that degree of autonomy because we realised that you just can't structure your day um, the way it used to be structured when you're living under those kind of pressures. Um, And that I think, for the most part, our employees demonstrated they could be trusted to do that, and they've repaid us with a degree of loyalty for that. Um, But what it illustrates at a broader point is that um, the line between work and work and play and work and family life is inevitably going to be blurred. Um, You just can't sort of say, right, i want a nine-to-five mindset now. Um, Even myself, I have my daughter who has to have her remote distance schooling, so I have to stop and assist her with that. Thankfully, I don't have to do the whole lesson myself, but I have to stop and set that up for her and keep an eye on it. Things come up throughout the day that are not work-related, and I deal with them. Um, And, you know, obviously at a management level, I don't need to be measured based on, you know, being at my desk exactly between these hours. But even as you get down to more of a, an agent level, where traditionally it's all about literally clocking in the time, um, I think metrics and KPIs and just the way that workers thought about will be more about what value are you actually adding rather than you know how many hours have you clocked in. Uh, and so I think behavior and the expectations of workers will change um, and young workers entering the workforce will be conditioned by that, hopefully in a good way. Uh, but no doubt there could be some challenges. Um, when we have a generation of people that have known nothing different, that can't even think back to the way it was before uh, this new normal era. Yeah, that'll
0: be crazy times when we have a generation that have never known uh, work from office. That'll be uh, that'll be yeah, an exciting definitely. future. So, David, thank you so much. As always, it's it's valuable insights and a lot of first hand experience there. So, thank you for that experience share. If anyone wants to know about the Nile or reach out to you, how can they do that?
1: Um, I think I should be pretty easy to find if you just Google maybe David Pritchard Philippines. I think there's only one of me here. Uh, Otherwise, um, my LinkedIn is probably an easy way to find me. Uh, And I think you might be able to put a link to that on the podcast. Absolutely. We'll do that. Thank you so much, David. All right. Thanks very much, Derek. A pleasure.
0: That was David Pritchard of the Nile. If you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And as always, if you want to email us, ask us anything, then just send us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.